that was when I was studying for my diploma in financial planning at Massey and did the investment paper. At the time, I was working for Public Trust and they introduced the Public Trust Investment Funds and I got involved with the rollout of that and we trialled the software and and offering it as an investment at the branch that I was managing at the time. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Welcome to episode 45 of Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, the vet podcast celebrating all creatures, great and small, and the fantabulous professionals who look after them all. I'm your show host, Julie South, and today I'm joined by Janet Natter of Smart Money Advice. This is the second of a two-part series where Massey Vet Science grads, or students, sent in their questions for answering. Today, we're talking about budgeting, student loans, some what to do and what not to do when it comes to investing and where to start. Have you, changing the subject, have you registered to go in the drawer to win one of the five lunch shouts that vet staff is giving away during Vet Nurse Awareness Week 2021? If you haven't, stay tuned to the end where you'll hear how to do that. As always, all references made during today's show will be available on the episode page, which is episode 45 at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. Now, as I mentioned back in episode 41, which was the first of these two episodes, the Massey student, vet med students, vet science students, this series has been in the making since May. So I'm super thrilled to actually get it to air. Back in May, Jessica Darick, who's the 2021 president of the Student the Student Veterinary Business Society, or the SVBS, at Massey University, and a Massey Vet Science student herself, asked on Facebook whether there was anyone able to help her fellow students answer their financial questions. One conversation led to another, and ta-da, here we are. I've known Janet Natter of Smart Money Advice for coming up 10 years. She lives not far from me on a lifestyle block in Tamahiri in the Waikato. Janet is the mother of a brand new grad herself, so she understands university life and also a high schooler. Janet's family is known, and I'm air quoting known, to their local mixed animal vet as they have a few stock as well as a cat and a dog. Now, just like veterinarians need to be registered in order to work as a veterinarian, so too do people who provide financial financial advice. To protect Janet, I need to let you know that the information she's providing in this episode is not financial advice. Her company, Tactical Financial Advice Limited has a FSP number of 691671 and she trades under the name of Smart Money Advice, holds a license issued by the Financial Markets Authority to provide financial advice. Janet's license number is FSP 67543. 
Janet's expertise is comprehensive financial planning, retirement planning and investment portfolio construction and management for clients with more than $250,000 to invest. If you want more information about her or her company, please visit smartmoneyadvice.co.nz. If you'd like to receive copies of Janet's easy-to-understand newsletter, and I mean easy-to-understand, it's all in plain English, you can sign up at smartmoneyadvice.co.nz. Scroll right to the bottom of her website to subscribe there. An old vet told my father when he was a student in Glasgow, he said, uh, if you want to be a success in veterinary practice, just keep the bowels open and trust the rest to God. Nutrition's not an opinion, it's a science. They called me that weird herbal needle vet, and I I just remember thinking, well, I'm still going to do it, because I know it works, and I've got the research to back it. From reminiscences of the real James Herriot's son, to pet nutrition, to acupuncture, the Vet Podcast discusses current animal health issues from around the world. I'm veterinarian Brian Gregor from New Zealand. Just search for the Vet Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet Staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vet Staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz Although today's episode specifically answers Massey students' questions, as you'll hear, the information that Janet shares is relevant to just about most people. Because her profession requires full disclosure, which you can read in its entirety at smartmoneyadvice.co.nz, I'll just go over some of the top-level stuff. Janet has a Bachelor of Business Studies degree from Massey University. She has a Diploma in Business endorsed in Personal Financial Planning, also from Massey University, and she's an Authorised Financial Advisor. She's also a member of the Institute of Financial Advisors, the Waikato Branch Secretary and former member of the National Council. At Financial Advice New Zealand, she's a committee member in the Waikato Bay of Plenty area. And she's held roles on national investment advisory committees for the National Partnership and Advanced Investment Solutions. Janet's owned her own business since 2008. Before that, she worked in it as a part-time employee for two years prior to purchasing it, so she knows what running a business is all about. She's also worked as a fire and general insurance underwriter for four years, a bank advisor for investment and insurance for two years, and as a professional trustee for 12 and a half years with the public trust. Let's join the conversation. Janet's answering my question about when she realised she wanted to be an investment advisor. I guess that was when I was studying for my diploma in financial planning at Massey and did the investment paper. At the time, I was working for Public Trust and they introduced the Public Trust Investment Funds and I got involved with the rollout of that 
and we trialled the software and and offering it as an investment at the branch that I was managing at the time. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. What made it interesting for you? The fact that it's very dynamic. The markets change every day. The macroeconomic inputs change every day. The geopolitics of the world changes every day. You've got to watch everything closely all the time and try and factor in what you can see coming into what you're doing now with your clients. So what what does a typical day look like for you? How do you start your day? At the top. I mean what okay, let me do you do you go do you check out Wall Street? Do you check out the FTSE? What do you go to the national program? How where do you what's how do you make sure that you're current? We get emails overnight from different organisations that we subscribe to talking about where the markets have closed overseas and predictions about where the markets are going to open. We're one of the first markets in the world to open, so it's quite useful to see overnight where everyone else is finished. The advice that we're going to be talking about today mm-hmm. is general 30,000-foot looking down only, is that correct? It is not specific advice to individual people. Correct. First one is from Anonymous, who's asking, what strategy would you recommend for repaying student loans? Should we be worried about how big our loan is? Do you have any tips for minimising our loans or being smart about how we get our loans? As in, if I don't need to be getting living costs, should I be getting it anyway and investing this as a way to make money? What advice do you have for starting an investment portfolio? I really want to get into the share market, but don't know where to start. Okay, so if we start with the student loan thing, basically, while if you're a New Zealand citizen or resident when you're at university you can download money in the form of a student loan to cover your education costs and and your living costs and when you start working the loan is required to be repaid so working on the current rules as of September 2021 the first $390 a week you earn before tax is exempt And for every dollar you earn over that amount, you repay 12% uh, of that money to your student loan. That's the current requirement to repay. And the loan is interest-free while you remain in New Zealand. So if your long-term strategy is to stay in New Zealand, uh, the money is interest-free and it's not really going to be a problem for you until you potentially apply for a mortgage. When you go to apply for a mortgage, the the two aspects they look at is how much can you pay and to repay your debt, your debt servicing capabilities, and then they look at your net asset position, your assets. Less your liabilities. So, student loan comes into both of those equations. 
it's probably more of an issue on the debt servicing side. So if you have a very large student loan uh, and are planning to buy a house, it would be in your best interest to try and reduce the amount of your debt as quickly as you can so that it won't be a problem when you go to buy a house in terms of getting a mortgage. If you're planning to leave New Zealand and work overseas, you're deemed to be a non-resident when you've been overseas for 153 days of a 184-day period. This is all on the IRD website. They've even got a little calculator where you can put in the dates you're going to be away, and it tells you the date on which you will become an overseas resident. And if you're overseas, the loan starts attracting interest at 3%, and you also have to make payments from overseas. So a 3% loan is still a very low interest rate loan, but it, it starts to rack up and accumulate. And if you are overseas, it's a good strategy to try and keep sending money back, not just the minimum payment, but over and above to try and get the debt level down for when you come back to New Zealand, if you come back uh, and once again want to get into buying a house. So the question about can you take the, the maximum amount of the loan and invest it? You could, that you would have to be very disciplined, that you are taking the money, setting it aside, investing it, and then making a call at some point about whether you put that money back on the loan. So that is a strategy that would work. Taking the money and using it to buy depreciating assets like cars and McDonald's, probably not the, the best strategy. But yeah, if you if you have a, a good solid investment strategy, that that can work for you. That would be similar to, I think, and I'm questioning you here, to somebody having is it a revolving credit mortgage where if they're disciplined and they put all their 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 income on this revolving credit and then don't keep drawing on it. Is that a similar? No, it, it's kind of more looking at the best use of a dollar, right? So if you've got a dollar and you are paying, for example, three cents to have it, which is the interest rate on, say, a student loan if you're overseas, but you can take that dollar and invest it and make six cents after tax, you're, you're three cents better ahead by investing it for six cents rather than paying three cents not to have it. So it's kind of looking at, yeah, that's more of a strategy. If you're going to invest money, it's got to make more than what it's costing you to have it. Any tips for minimising our loans or being smart about how we get our loan? You'd, with the getting the loan, it's very prescriptive in terms of what you can get and how much you can get and how long you can have it. Paying the loan back, once again, it's there's no right answer. It's about what is your strategy, long-term strategy. As I said, if you're coming out of uni and you're looking at, I want to have a house within five years, it's a good idea to try. You can make lump sum repayments onto your student loan it's a good idea to try and get it down because it will affect your ability to get a mortgage. But if you're if you've got a longer time horizon, it's not such a big deal. But certainly 
it's a good idea to be smart with with your money. Like the best advice I could give anyone coming out of uni is to set up a really solid cash management plan when you get your first job. Work through how much is coming in and, and where you're going to allocate that money to. So look at, you know, what is my rent? What are my transport costs? What is my food budget? What is my takeaways budget? What is my going out with my mates budget? Things like that. Bucket all your money out and then work out how much you've got left and then set that money aside. As I say, you know, pay yourself first, put that money away and live on what is left. And that's going to get you ahead. So that's the best strategy rather than just live to what is in your bank account. Actually be deliberate about what is left in your bank account and live to that. Do you work with any students, Janet? Do you have students as clients? Apart from your daughter. I mean, I know that uh, your daughter is is just started the workforce as a a new grad. Yeah. Not really. I have talked to students and children of clients and given them, you know, general advice. This one is from Amy. As a new head vet, how would I get into investing and managing personal finance? Now, I realize that you need to have a general answer to this. The best uh, investment when you're starting out is to look at a KiwiSaver. So if you're on a salaried position, you can contribute three, four, six, eight, ten percent of your salary into your KiwiSaver and your employer is required to contribute three percent less tax. And if you personally are contributing more than a thousand and forty two dollars eighty six cents a year, the government puts in a member tax credit of five hundred and twenty one dollars forty three a year. So it's a great investment where you can get some free money. KiwiSaver can be used towards buying your first home. So if you've never owned a house before, you can take most of the money out of your KiwiSaver to put down as a deposit for your first home. So it's a great way to save for a house deposit. So that's the the first investment everybody should have. If you want to invest as in put money away for longer than a three or four year period, there are other investments called managed funds, which are very similar to KiwiSavers, but they don't have any of the locked-in components. So it's kind of like a KiwiSaver on call. And a lot of the KiwiSaver providers offer managed funds as well. And they're really good for longer-term savings. So the diverse, fully diversified funds, you're pooling your money with a lot of other people, which means that you know, you drop your dollar in and you've instantly got 4,000 investments rather than one. So it reduces risk. And it, having that, that bulk pool of money also gets investors access to stuff they could never access as an individual. Amy's question about managing personal finance, that would be for her to look at the different buckets of her money. Is that correct? Yep. Absolutely. There are some good uh, tools available on the sorted website. So that's www.sorted.org.nz. That's run by, I think it's Financial Capability Commissioner. 
there's some really good stuff on there to have a look at. There are lots of budget programs available online. Some of the banks offer them as well as part of their internet banking access. Yeah, there's all sorts of tools available. It's just a matter of finding something that makes sense to you and doing that. Because if it doesn't make sense, you're not going to do it. I run my budget out of a 3B1 notebook, which most of my clients find highly amusing. But it works for me. I don't want a spreadsheet. I spend all day on spreadsheets with the notebook. It's there in writing. I can refer back to it. I put my bills in the notebook when they come in. It totally works for me. So that's what I do. I automate as much of my bill paying and my saving as possible. Wages come in instantly, money gone, money gone everywhere. And then what is left is left. And that's sort of how we live. Sometimes I will say I put a little bit too much money away and we run short and I get growled. But, you know, it's about finding a system that that works for you. I remember when I was at the Reserve Bank, I worked with a woman. I chose to get, this is in the the days when you could get paid cash or automatic payment. She always chose to get a proportion of hers in cash. And she had this swag of envelopes with different labels on them. And each second Thursday, she would get her cash and divide it up. And it went and and that was her, yeah, she she was very, very disciplined with her money. Well, the, the way to do that these days is to have different bank accounts. So instead of having envelopes, you have different bank accounts. So we've got a short-term bills bank account. So that's where the money goes in for the the power and the monthly donations and money that goes up monthly into investments and stuff like that. That's where that money goes. And then we have a long-term bills account, which is where the money goes for the rates and our insurance as we pay all our insurance annually because it's cheaper. So we put a certain amount aside every payday for that. Then we've got the travel account. Then we've got the the, uh, money pit account, which we've set up for restoring one of Gary's holdings, which is called the money pit. We have an account for my son's sporting fees, which he's a rower, so he's flipping expensive. We put money in that every payday. So we've got all these envelopes, if you like, electronic envelopes where the money goes in and it just sits there and is used for whatever its purpose is. So. Okay, if somebody's just starting one of these multiple bank account systems mm-hmm. and let's say it's a long-term bill, for example, insurance, and they start it partway through the cycle, when yep. they get to to payment date, there's not going to be enough money, mm-hmm. where would they top, which account would they top that up from? What I would do is work out what your insurance bill is going to be. So say, for example, your insurance is due at the end of January, you've got five months before that's due. Work out roughly what the bill is going to be and divide it by five and that's how much you put in for the, every month and then when you get the bill in January when you reset it you put in a 12th every every month that's why you do what you do and I do what I do 
<laughs> yeah, well, we've saved for a massive overseas trip doing that. I, I, I worked out how much it was going to be, divided it by 48 months, and off we went. I was just thinking so, when you said that you've got an um, overseas travel account, that would be looking pretty healthy right now. Yeah, I know. It's kind of disappointing because it's, yeah. You, you're going to have a ball. Not, yeah, frothing at the mouth. But anyway. This is a question from Jess. Is contributing, and we've probably answered this already, is contributing a higher amount to KiwiSaver enough for an investment or would you suggest having a separate investment? If you are planning to you, if you're saving solely for a, f- a first home deposit, a KiwiSaver is a great way to save. But if you are saving for anything else, like a trip uh, or like an OE or buying a new car in five years or anything, a KiwiSaver won't work for you because you can only get your money out for first home deposit or when you retire. You can get it out if you can prove you're living in New Zealand permanently or if you have have less than 12 months to live. But it's really, really hard to get money out of a KiwiSaver. So if you've got an investment running alongside, it gives you more flexibility because you can access that money if there is a major drama. Like if you get really crook and you can't work for three or four months, you can access your investment to help keep your rent paid while you're not working. Or if there's a family emergency and you need to chuck some money at a sibling or help your parents or something once again, you can access that money and then get it back later. So it's a much more flexible strategy to have a dollar each way rather than just relying on KiwiSaver. That has just prompted two questions from me from what you said. We're predominantly right now talking to grads, yeah, like new grads, people your daughter's age. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend that they look at health insurance and income protection insurance at their age, or is that too personal a question and you need to do a whole portfolio analysis thing? Hmm. It depends partly on where they're at and where they want to be. You absolutely need to get into the insurance stuff at point in time that you become a parent, when you need to make sure you've got provision for your children or when you buy a house. A mortgage is a contractual obligation, right? So you've got to meet your mortgage payments. If you don't, you lose your house. That's where it's really important to look at income protection or mortgage installment protection or something because you've got a grown-up commitment there and you need to ensure that no matter what happens, you can meet your financial commitment. So that's the point at which you really need to get serious about insurance. This one is Jenny. Is it a good idea to pay off your student loan fast if it is interest-free or pay the minimum requirements only? Once again, depends on what your future plans are. If you're looking at getting a mortgage, definitely try and either set money aside for the purpose of reducing your loan when you make your mortgage application or put extra into your loan. But while it's interest-free and if, if you're not or if you already have a mortgage, you've already got one, you don't need to worry too much about it. It is a debt that will need to be paid off at some point. just depends on whether it's going to get in the way of where you want to go. 
Veterinary student loans are tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. They're probably more like hundreds of thousands of dollars in med student student loans to look at. Yeah, they're, they're, so, they're almost yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, make but your eyes water. Yeah, but having said that, most medical-type graduates get a reasonable starting income and you can flog it. This one is for, I hope I pronounced the name correctly, Gerontius, Gerontius. What are some of the available share investment platforms available to beginners, apps, brokerage firms that are user-friendly or do not have complicated user interfaces or complex-free structures? I have always wanted to dip my hands into the investing world to supercharge my savings for the future. Also, what sorry, would those platforms allow one to invest in overseas markets, for example, the US market? There are a lot of new generation investment platforms that have become available in the last couple of years. And I'm not recommending any of them by saying their names. The biggest one, of course, is Sharesies and there's Hatch and Invest Now and all sorts of you know, other little platforms that are springing up. They're called micro-investing platforms. So the Financial Services Council recently did a survey and their figures came back that 1.5 New Zealanders, 1.5 million, sorry, New Zealanders either use the platforms or are planning to use them. So that's a lot of people. I guess my concern with these platforms, I have two concerns. The first one is that a lot of people treat them as gambling and not investing. You know, I've met people who've come in and they've got, you know, 100,000 sitting on a platform. And they're like, I just wanted some advice on this. So you get the list and you go, okay, so why did you, why did you put some money in that one? And they look at me and I go, oh, I don't know. You know, there's no thought, there's no rationale behind A, why they've put the money in or, or even B, what they've put the money in, you know. So if, if it's part of a reasoned process, like, you know, how much volatility are you happy with? What asset classes do you want to be in? How do you want to invest? Are you going to go for a diversified fund or a single company? Have you researched any of this? You know, and, and if people can go, yes, 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 all good. But it's the people that don't have any thought process behind this. It's, it's gambling, not investing. And, and the other question I would have is around motivation. Your question person has said they were looking for a long-term strategy, which is great. But for a lot of people, they're doing this for the quick win. They've been at the pub and somebody's dropped that they've, oh, I've put some money in this and it's up. 10% in a week and they go, oh, and pile in. That's not a good rationale for investing. That's called fear of missing out. And a big concern that I have for people doing this is if we get another significant market downturn and all their investments drop by 35% and they bail, they've capitalized a loss and potentially it will make them more averse to investing in the future because their story will be investments don't work. And that's not true. Investments do work, but gambling doesn't. The other concern I have about some of these platforms is they're not regulated. So when you put money into a KiwiSaver or a managed fund, 
the person that's offering the service to you is regulated by a government department, whether it's Reserve Bank or the Financial Markets Authority or both. It's a, it's a regulated industry. The reason for that is consumer protection. None of these micro platforms, investing platforms, are regulated. And all it's going to take is for one of them to either get hacked or to lose a whole lot of people's money and it will really have a big impact on the trust around financial systems in New Zealand. So that's another concern that I have. Let's just talk a little bit about, you you mentioned regulation. Mm. How does somebody find out using Dr. Google whether something that they're a platform that they're considering in is regulated or not or an investment that they're considering is regulated or not none of the platforms are regulated and that includes all the cryptocurrency platforms and the fx platforms they they're not oh actually i lie some of the fx platforms are regulated the new zealand ones are anyway With an investment, if you're wanting to know whether the actual investment is regulated, they will have an offer document or a product disclosure document available on the website. And that covers off information they are legally required to provide the investor by law and also has in it who their custodian is, who their trustee is and who their regulator is. All KiwiSaver funds, all New Zealand-based managed funds have a product disclosure statement available. In New Zealand, to practice as a veterinarian, a veterinarian needs to be registered with the New Zealand Veterinary Council. What is the equivalent of that for you? We are registered through the Financial Markets Authority. So there is a register and what's it called? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Anyway, you can Google on the Financial Markets Authority for the, a register for every person who is a, a, a licensed financial advisor in New Zealand. I will and put it, a link on yeah, the show notes page. Absolutely. Yeah. And it also states which business you work for and the businesses all have to be licensed as well. Can anybody be registered or licensed? What did you have to to do in order to to get that certification? As an investment advisor, we had to have completed, uh, we have a minimum education standard, and we also had to go through pre this latest round of legislation and be authorised financial advisors. That process no longer exists but there is a, a minimum education standard now for all financial advisors, just not for investment advisors only. They have to have a level five certificate and that's part of their registration process now. Can you explain the difference between a financial advisor and an investment advisor, please? With the new legislation, there isn't one. We are all financial advisors. We, we all have specialist areas. So you have financial advisor, mortgage, financial advisor, insurance. You have financial advisor, investment, or financial advisor, financial planning. And you're an investment. 
and financial planning. Financial planning. Okay. Those are my two designations. Yeah. I think you can only have two. This question is from Anon. When I start my first job, I wouldn't have money at all to invest, but what would be the safe things to invest in as I accumulate some savings? Next question. Do you want me to go into the next question or you want to answer that one? That one. That's a good place to start. Okay. So the first thing to do is set up a KiwiSaver. My advice to you would not to go with a default KiwiSaver to actually make a conscious choice about which KiwiSaver fund manager you're going to use and within that which KiwiSaver fund you're going to use. Once again, there's quite a bit of information available on Sorted to have a look at. One thing I would say with Sorted, they tend to give you the very short-term performance figures. KiwiSaver is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you're wanting to compare a couple of KiwiSavers that really spin your wheels, I would advise you to look at the average five-year and 10-year returns for comparison, not one year. One year in a KiwiSaver is nothing. You really need to look at how they're running the distance. So that's the first place to start. Second place to start is to make sure you've got a cash buffer in the bank. So emergency savings. So the best thing to do is to set up a savings account within the whatever you bank with and start putting a little bit of money over every payday so that if you get to a point where you suddenly your car files a warrant or you have a big dentist bill or something like that, you've got some money that's set aside specifically for that purpose of emergency. And once you've got that up to five, six, seven grand, then you could start at looking at maybe dripping some money into some other long-term investments. What percentage of my earnings as a new grad general practitioner? So that would probably be around the $65,000 mark. Should I spend on living, housing, saving, recreation, etc.? That depends entirely on you. If you're a new grad living in Auckland, you're going to be spending a lot more on accommodation than a new grad who started in Greymouth. This is where you create your cash management plan. Go through the essentials. I need to have somewhere to live. I need to pay for my transport. I need to pay for my phone. These are the costs I need to live every fortnight and then go down to, okay, socializing is important to me. I'm going to have a $50 beer budget. I'm going to set so much aside for other things that are important to me. It's about creating something that's meaningful for you and reflective of your life. There's no one size fits all. There's a, a rider to this. The, the person asking the question, some saving plans are not accessible to them, but they do plan to work here okay. after graduation. So KiwiSaver is only available to New Zealand residents. So KiwiSaver might not be an option, but this is where you can use a managed fund. Managed funds are accessible. There's no residency requirement. What options, Anon, what options do I have with paying off my student loan? Are, some of, are there some ways which could be more beneficial than others? 
the only ways for paying off your student loan if you're in New Zealand is you have it deducted from your pay. As I said, 12% of your income above 390 a week is automatically deducted from your pay. And you also have the option of making lump sums and regular internet banking payments into your student loan. Those are the only payment options available. So somebody couldn't opt, say, to pay 15%. No, no, no it's, it's a tax code, basically. With KiwiSaver that's come up often, is this something that you do? Me, personally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry, not – do you – um, do you help people? I'm thinking, you know, listeners here. Do you help people with KiwiSaver? Yes. If they have questions or would like you to to work with them on the best strategy for them, then I will put link direct links for you on the website for this podcast. But you're Janet at SmartMoneyAdvice.co.nz. Do you have any other? Tips, strategies, hacks, insights. Having a having a daughter who's a a recent grad. The biggest one is the biggest thing I would say is to get a good cash management program in place and to get a handle on your money, what's coming in, where it's going, and to make conscious choices about where it is going. That's the key thing, because this is how you're going to get ahead. This is how you're going to build your wealth. And the best time to contact you is right now, right? (laughs) Well, there are so many online options available in that space for cash management. Just, like I say, have a look around and find one that works for you. But if somebody is serious about – I mean, I I remember, you know, there's always – you've got forever and then all of a sudden you don't have forever. Mm. and forever just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So for somebody, a student, a grad, who's, who is thinking about their financial future and securing their financial future, it's better to do it sooner rather than later. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. 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 This, uh, Mary Holm has written a couple of books, H-O-L-M, they're worth having a look at. People talk a lot about a book called The Barefoot Investor. It was written for Australians. So the first, from memory, three or four chapters are absolutely fantastic. And he talks a lot about cash management strategy. But then they get into how to play Australian super and the different tax systems and the tax breaks. And he talks about investment options that aren't available in New Zealand and you're sitting there going, damn, I wish I was an Aussie. But that the first four or five chapters of that book are really, really good. So that's another option if you can get that from a you know from a library or pick it up, the barefoot investor. Here's a question that you weren't expecting, and I don't know whether you'll be able to answer it or not. Have you had any horror stories of investments or people trying to DIY what they're doing and end up losing or making a total mess. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's yeah, it's not that hard to do. So what should people look out for? If it looks too big good 
if it looks too good to be true, it usually is. And once again, do not put all your eggs in one basket. If you have a range of different investments, you're going to be you know, far less likely to come a cropper than having all of your money in one investment. And I just don't mean like one specific investment. I mean, if you've got all your money in New Zealand shares and something happens and the share market falls by 20%, you're slightly screwed. If you have all your money in one particular investment and something goes bad there, you're screwed. It's about having a range of stuff, ideally, that gives you that diversification. The the Kiwi thing is quarter-acre home ownership as a long-term investment strategy or money protection strategy for people that may not be in a position to perhaps ever buy a house because of the way the property's going now. How would you suggest that they they look at investing in the non-quarter-acre Kiwi section way? They're going to need to make some provision for more retirement savings than somebody who owns their own home because they will be renting when they're working but they'll also be renting when they're retired. National Super at the moment is about $672 a fortnight. Try and rent on that. Is that gross or net? Net. It's but not, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's $15,000 $15, a year about, plus or minus? Closer to 19. 19, but, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, if you're getting 350 bucks a week and your rent's 300 it's not going to be a good look. So if you're going to choose to be a, a lifetime renter or you're not going to have any choice about being a lifetime renter, you need to have set extra money aside so that when you're retired, you can actually afford to continue to rent and eat at the same time. So it's about you need to create your wealth, future wealth in ways other than owning your own home. Janet, we talked earlier about should people get insurance, but I didn't ask you a question about wills, last will and testaments. Mm. So is there is it too soon? When do they need to start thinking about that? In New Zealand, the law is that anyone who has more than $15,000 in assets needs to have a will. Most people have got more than that in their KiwiSaver, so they need to have a will. If they don't have a will, someone has to make application to the high court for letters of administration to take care of their stuff. That costs a lot of money. It is far cheaper just to go and and make a will, um, pr- preferably with a lawyer or a trustee company so it's done properly and you get good advice. But yeah, absolutely. People don't realise that they need to have a will even if they've only got a little bit. How often should they update their will? Back in the day, when I worked in the trustee industry, we recommended every five years it should be reviewed. It's just have a look at have a look at it. Does it still fit your circumstances? If you have got married, you need to make a new will. If you've had children, you need to make a new will because you need to appoint guardians for your kids. And that's really, really important. You know, if you've appointed 
a, a private person as an executor and they're not up for it anymore because of health or they've moved away or you're not friends anymore or whatever, you need to make a new will. So it's just have a look at it every so often and check that it's still valid for your circumstances. If you buy a house, if you buy a vet clinic. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good time just to check all your ducks are lined up. I hope you found that interesting and helpful. As you can probably tell, I hope you could, Janet's passionate about teaching people how to work smarter with their money and helping them to achieve their goals in life, most of which we know cost money. One of Janet's belief is that financial freedom isn't about having lots of money and lots of possessions. It's about the power to have enough money to make good choices instead of ending up at the mercy of others. Remember, she talked about if you're currently renting, you need to be able to plan to continue renting, even when you're not earning. The type of choices that you need to make are very individual to you and will vary as you move through life. So we all need to adjust our financial plans on that journey. And the longer you put off sorting out your finances, the less time you have to get to where you want to be in life. Janet is into holistic financial planning, which is the process of having a detailed look at all the areas that make up the financial segment of someone's life, making sure that everything has been considered and that an appropriate plan is in place. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, Janet's business is especially tailored to people who have around $250,000 or more to invest. If that's you, then when you first meet with Janet, she'll talk with you about budgeting, which is harnessing your earnings as they come into your household. She'll look at your debt and see if the structure is optimal for your circumstances. And she may also develop a plan to repay any debt faster. Together, you'll talk about personal insurances, what kind and how much. She'll look at your retirement savings and KiwiSaver. Are you saving in the right way and into the right place for you? Janet will discuss your estate planning. Do you have one in place and will it do what you need it to do? Her end goal is to have a very practical and workable plan of what you can choose to do to tidy things up and to make sure that you get to where you want to be, regardless of what may trip you up on the way through. Having a plan B is just as important as having a plan A, and you definitely want a plan B before it's needed. Janet gets a huge amount of satisfaction from educating people about financial planning and watching them achieve their goals. She also gets a lot, of sp- a lot of satisfaction, but she says, with a much sadder heart, from helping people implement their plan B because they didn't have a plan B, plan A, or because plan A went a bit pear-shaped. Janet also has a very strong interest and a real love of the investment markets, and a large part of her business is constructing and managing investment portfolios for her clients. So that's Janet Natter of Smart Money Advice, smartmoneyadvice.co.nz for more info. Let's now talk about Vet Nurse Awareness Week 2021. We're on the countdown to that. It's the first week, the first full week of October. And Vet Staff has five lunchtime pizza shots that it's giving away through that week. 
Last year, vet staff ran a photo competition. Five lucky clinics from the north, south, east and west were shouted lunch. This year, it's another photo competition. And here at Vet Staff, we're celebrating the skills and the talents that your clinic's nurses have outside of work that help keep them all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at work. So indirectly, we're celebrating their, their ways that they stay mentally well and healthy. We want to see the photos of what they do that light them up on the inside, outside of work. Examples of their creativity, their sportiness, perhaps their culinary, their crafty science. We want you to be able to celebrate their amazingness that's hidden in plain sight each day at your clinic as well. You need to register first and clinics can register multiple times by different people and each different person counts as a separate entry. So the more people who register and send us different photos, the more entries you'll have in the drawer. You can register at vetstaff.co.nz under News and Media at the top, and then under Vet Nurse Awareness Week Competition Registration. Or if you're on Facebook, we've pinned the post at the top of Vetstaff's Vetstaff's Facebook page, which is vetstaff.nz at Facebook, which takes you to the registration form from there. We're all looking forward to celebrating the talent that exists in your clinic, so remember to register. Something else that I'm looking forward to is sharing the Employment Law Q&A podcast with Steph Dyberg. The questions are in and they are interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing Steph's expert opinion and answer to them. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please let me know what you think. You can email me at julie at vetstaff.co.nz or get in touch with me via social media. Remember to click the follow button so that you'll never miss out on a future episode. It's free, doesn't cost a cent to follow, and means that all episodes will be delivered direct to your podcast feed wherever you're listening, Spotify or iHeart or Apple or Google or Stitcher, any of them. Click that follow button. It means you'll never have to go hunting for another podcast again. This is Julie South signing off. Thank you for spending the last 60 minutes or so of your life with Janet and me at Paws, Claws and Wet Noses. Kia kaha, kakiti ano. Peace be with you. Take care and God bless. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vetstaff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vetstaff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vetstaff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz Thank you.